every four years, athletes from 205 nations and spectators from all of those respective nations gather in a city, and they do so to celebrate competition and skill. Over 340 different events go on, and and awards are given across those 340 events in 33 different sports. Most of you already immediately have picked up on what I'm talking about. Of course, I'm talking about what? The Olympics. Now, the Olympics normally happen every four years. And I got to tell you that one of the greatest disappointments for me in 2020, out of all the things that 2020 took from us, was the postponing of the Olympics. Now, as we think about the Olympics and we think about those sports, uh, I just am am, uh, kind of a a fanatic about the Olympics. I I just kind of get involved in watching sports that I would normally never watch otherwise. Anybody else here? I mean, you think about from weightlifting to wrestling to to synchronized swimming. I mean, just all of these bizarre kinds of activities. And I find myself DVRing those and going back and watching them and getting into. And and I just get fired up. And so I was really sad when they determined that they were going to postpone the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. And the plan is still that they would happen in 2021. In fact, maybe we've got the the logo for that. Um, It was kind of strange to see in an odd year because normally it's in a, if you'll just clear the background hopefully it'll show that one maybe don't worry about it as we think about the Olympics though 2021 amazes me to think that that would be the year of the Olympics I mean normally it's this even thing and it's just kind of like clockwork okay they're coming and we build up and we watch as they build you know infrastructure and hotels and an Olympic village and they build stadiums and all the different things well one of my favorite stories came out of the 2004 Olympics those were historic games and they were historic because of the setting you see in 2004 the Olympic games were held in Athens, Greece. And the reason that that was so significant is because that's where it all began. Athens was the birthplace of the Olympics. And so going back, there was a lot more history, a lot more pageantry in those 2004 games. And it seems like an eternity ago. But but one thing that happened in those games intrigued me. There was a story that came out of the games. It was chronicled in Sports Illustrated and in papers across the world. But an athlete by the name of Matt Emmett some of you remember that name and maybe you already remember his story Matt Emmons was an American athlete and he was the absolute best at his sport that's certainly better than anybody else in that sport but it was argued that he was as good in his sport as any athlete in any sport he was He was given that kind of notoriety that he was as good as any athlete competing in any individual skill. He was a marksman. And he shot in the 50-meter three-position shoot. That means that they would shoot from their belly, they would shoot from their knee, and they would shoot standing at 50 meters. And so in this shooting event, he had scored nearly perfect all the way up until the end. And he literally was on his last shot, the very last shot. Out of 120 shots, they shoot 40 at each of those positions, and he was at shot number 120. And he took aim as he always did. He looked down. It was from the standing position. He looked down the range. He sent the bullet to the target. He literally said, I watched the bullet make a hole in the bullseye. And he stopped. I I hope we've got a picture maybe of Emmons. That's the after picture. We had a before picture of him. But look at the, there he is shooting. And here's the after, and here's why. Because he looked and he watched the bullseye as he hit it, and as he backed away to begin in his heart to cheer and say, I've won the gold medal. I mean, it was a slam dunk. Literally, they said all he had to do was hit the paper. If he hit the target anywhere, there was no way he could lose. If he hit the target, he didn't have to make a bullseye. He didn't have to score any high score. He was that far ahead of everybody else. It would be like telling Van Gogh, all you got to do is hit the canvas with a little paint I mean it was a slam dunk and he looked up and on the monitor as it showed the the target there was nothing there no bullet hole and the scoreboard said zero and they panned in and began to look for the hole and it wasn't there and then the pan went right and as the camera panned right 
You may have guessed it. It's called crossfire. He didn't go through his normal procedure, and he didn't look at the number of the target before he aimed at the target, and he shot the target next to his. Yeah, exactly. A perfect bullseye in the wrong target. Gut-wrenching. Heartbreaking. Not only did he not meddle, he didn't place. He went from first to near worst. He went all the way to the bottom. He was number eight. He was the best in the world at that sport. And here in this place, we see that he shot at the wrong target. He thought some glitch had occurred. He just knew in his heart, I watched the shot. I saw it happen. And then he realized to his horror that he had shot the wrong target. What's the moral of this story, Pastor? I mean, you're here to preach to us today. What's the moral? Well, the moral is this. We better be sure that we're aiming at the right target, right? I mean, that's a pretty good lesson for all of us. With that as the background, I want you to reach back into your bulletin, and I want you to pull out that GPS. We've called it a Grow, Pray, Study Guide. And we're adding additional things besides just a listening guide. We're giving some devotional thoughts week by week because I want all of us to consider this pathway. Our sermon series is called The Pathway. If you don't have one, if you didn't get a bulletin on the way in, I I hope that you would just jot down some thoughts that maybe uh, the Lord brings to your mind. If you're at home, jot those down you certainly can on our website get the bulletin and the gps guide but i want you to take that out because i want to ask you a couple of questions hold that guide up just to make sure everybody's there all right i just want to see it very good i'm going to ask you two questions and the very first one don't doesn't even require the guide it's going to be by show of hands all right you ready how many people everybody listening i saw a couple people nod everybody listening okay How many of you genuinely desire to faithfully follow Jesus Christ? Raise your hands. Keep them up. All right. You can put your hand down. That was most everybody. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, I'm not being disparaging towards you. We have folks that are here today. Maybe it's the very first time you've ever been here. Maybe somebody brought you here. Maybe somebody compelled you to be here or even drugged you here. They made you come. And maybe you're just checking out faith. And perhaps you're in a place where you're just beginning to check out this church. You say, what can this church offer me? So I get it. But the vast majority of the people in this room raised their hand and said, my desire is to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. Folks, you know what you just did? You just told me and those around you, this is the target. My life's goal, my aim is to faithfully follow Jesus. I'm not talking about an Olympic event. I'm talking about your life. You've said, with my life, I desire to faithfully follow Jesus. Right? We all on the same page? All right, let's move forward. Let me ask you a second question. And I'm not going to let you off that easy this time with a raising of hands. You're going to have to answer this one. You ready? Here's the question. It's on your listening guide toward the bottom. So there's room for you to fill it out. But I want you to answer this question. What does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? And now I want to give you a little time so you don't feel pressure. Don't cheat. Don't look at your neighbor. I want you to answer this question. If we can cue up a little music that will help you out to answer it. So here we go. Y'all like that? Oh, the pressure of that song. What does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? All right, time is up, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to take this mic, and I'm going to come out here, and I'm going to start asking you what you've... Oh, I heard, uh (laughs) uh-oh. I heard a couple of people kind of gasp. I'm not going to do it. Some of you are like, I need to write something down. I was just doodling to make my neighbor think I was filling that out. If you have said to me that the aim of your life, the target of your life is to faithfully follow Jesus, that that is your desire, you better know what that looks like. You better have some sense of what it looks like because here is my fear. This is incredibly important. If our focus is to faithfully follow, we better know what it looks like because my fear is many of us in this room 
Many of us who have been members of this church for a long, long time are aiming at the wrong target. We're not shooting in the right direction. We say we want to follow Jesus, but when we try to define what it means to follow Jesus, we're moving off target into some other area. And let me just tell you, it's important for us to think about this. And I want to just give you some background because I believe that almost everybody in here probably tended toward one of two answers. You ready? One way that we answer this is by activity. We answer by what a person does. We say a faithful follower of Jesus does certain things, right? What, what does a follower of Jesus do? Well, they go to church every Sunday, and they pray, and they read their Bible, and they give, and they, they tithe, and they, they tithe 10% of their income, gross, not net, because we really want God's blessings. And I try to be a kind neighbor, and I try to be good to my kids, and I try to be a good husband or good wife, right? The activity. Sometimes we define what it means to follow Jesus by what we do. In fact, some of us have taken that to the next level and we try to define it by the don't do list, right? The other side, you jot down and say, if I faithfully follow Jesus, there are certain things that I don't do. The problem with that list is I've lived in several parts of the country. When we moved out west, I realized that growing up in South Mississippi, there's more on the do not do list in South Mississippi than there is in North Idaho, right? There are Christians there that say, hey, this is permissible. This is okay. I can do that. And you go back to South Mississippi and say, oh, a Christian would never do that. And the problem with this is that if you're basing your following of Jesus and your faithfulness of following Jesus on what you do, the key word here, the operative word is performance. Write that down somewhere. The operative word is performance. And that means it's all up to you. And you begin to believe this way. You begin to say the Christian life is a sum total of my performance for living for Jesus. I do enough stuff and don't do enough stuff. I do all the right stuff and avoid all the wrong stuff. And now I'm living the Christian life. Does that make sense? Yes or no? If you look at your list, everybody look at your list. If you wrote some stuff on there like faithfully following Jesus means praying and going to church and reading your Bible and doing those things, then that is one tendency that we run to. We, we look at activity. Can I just tell you this, church family? And I really want you to dial in with me this morning. If that is the way that you measure faithfully following Jesus Christ, can I tell you the end result will be frustration and disappointment and discouragement. And here's why. Because you'll come to church week after week and you'll look at other people and you'll think they've got it all together. They're doing all the right things on the good list and they're avoiding all the things on the bad list and I'm struggling. Anybody here struggle to do all the right stuff? Not as many of you raised your hand that time. I mean, maybe you're more spiritual than me. I struggle daily when I long to do for Jesus. When I say, oh, it's up to me. And, and I want you to see this in a very clear way today because this is going to bring freedom as we think about the pathway. Some of us are having a tendency of defining what it means to faithfully follow Jesus by activity. And when you do that, you find yourself in a very, very precarious position. People begin to look at it by answering that question that way and they're aiming at the wrong target. Let me give you the second way that people do. Not activity, but information. Not what do people do, but what do people know? What a person knows. And if you think being faithful is this way, then more than likely the pattern of discipleship in your life has been you went to some classes and you went to classes to study. You wanted to learn everything that you could about the Bible. I need to have all the right doctrines in place. I need to have all the right creeds down. I need to think the right way. And in some faith traditions, they'll send you through classes and you come to the end and they confirm you. They stamp a confirmation to say, you are now a faithful follower of Jesus. And you and I know that just what you know isn't always true now pastor are you telling me that following Jesus has nothing to do with the way I live no I'm not saying that 
And I'm also not saying that following Jesus faithfully has nothing to do with what you believe. It has everything to do with what you believe and how you live. But both of those tendencies fall woefully short of the New Testament call that Jesus presents, follow me. And today we want to explore that just very briefly. We want to walk into this because some of you are on a treadmill of activity or there's an arrogance about our sense of information. Well, I've got it down. I know all the right stuff. I've been to Hardy Street Baptist Church Sunday School for a long, long time. I've sat under faithful preaching for years, even decades. So I know all the right stuff. I must be faithful. And both of those things fall short of what God is calling us to do. And it's very important for us to see that Paul warned us about this. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11.3, I want you to just jot that down. Here it is on the screen, but jot down 2 Corinthians 11.3. I want to read it, and I want you to help me here in just a moment. Paul said, but I am afraid that your minds will be led astray from the, say that next word, say it, sincerity and, say that one, purity of devotion to Christ. Listen to me, church. Sincerity and purity of devotion to Christ. Does that sound like your Christian walk today? I'm afraid, like Paul was afraid, that we have complicated things, that we've made it about all kinds of other things. We've added legalism, and we've added traditionalism, and we've added all kinds of other isms that have complicated the simple matter that the Christian life is about devotion sincere I love that sincerity and purity of devotion and as I think about those thoughts as I think about those concepts that sincerity and purity of devotion to Christ is what God's calling every one of us to then we need to see that we naturally drift toward activity and information hey look at what I'm doing hey let me impress you with what I know does that make sense And we find ourselves going toward activity or information. And at the heart of it, Jesus is calling us to more. Neither of those is sincerity or purity of devotion to Christ. Now, i got to tell you this. Church family, I have staked my ministry here at Hardy Street on becoming a disciple-making church. We said that five years ago. We say that today. And if I don't do anything, uh, if I do anything else other than that, then it's mission drift. If I can lead our church to begin to say, oh, we want to follow Jesus and we want to understand what that looks like, then I can stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I did what you called me to do. We have no other business. We are in the disciple-making business. So we better get clear today on what sincere and pure devotion to Jesus looks like. Amen? Now, this is where we're going to start setting you free because we're going to challenge you to stop living for Jesus. You see, the word disciple is a relational word. There's a relationship between the discipler and the one being discipled. There's a relationship, an interplay between the one that is leading and the one that is following. And that relationship is so vitally important because this idea of relationships means very pointedly that we as a church, as we make disciples, we need to get into this place in this mindset that the Christian life is not about me living for Jesus but it is about Jesus living his life in and through me in fact I want you to say that with me it's on the screen here we go the Christian life is not me living for Jesus but Jesus living his life in and through me Now, this is very, very important. That's not just semantics. That is the difference in religion and relationship. We can do all kinds of things. We can know all kinds of things. But when we determine that the Christian life is that we rest crucified and allow Jesus to live in and through us, then we need to say, what kind of life will that be? We need to study the life of Jesus. And my contention is this, folks. I want you to see it. 
over the course of 2021, my preaching plan is this, that next Sunday we're going to pick back up and we're going to finish out the book of Daniel. I think it's critical in these days in which we're living to look at the prophecies of the end times. I think we need to look where we're going and then let's get back on the path. And we're going to start walking through the gospels in the book of Mark. We're going to study the life of Jesus because I want us to see the life of a Jesus follower is Jesus living in and through us so we better know what he did now let's talk through this in fact let me just go ahead and say that you can fill this one in the very first step on this path is we need to discover what Jesus did we need to look back and see what did Jesus actually do when he was alive here on the earth and in this pathway series about getting on the pathway as a Jesus follower it's about following in his footsteps and so I want to tell you this because we need to study there let me ask you a question. Here's a Bible question for you. If we wanted to learn about the life of Jesus, where in the Bible would we go? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's exactly right. Now, I'm not encouraging you to do this, all right? But I want you to hear me. You could do this. I, I want you to see that if we were to take the Gospels and we were to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we were to take a pair of scissors. Again, I'm not telling you to do this, but you were to cut out every story in the Bible. You could take every story in the Bible and you could drop them into three different boxes. You would begin to look at three different relationships that Jesus had. And so that's going to be significant for all of us today. Number one, I want you to see this. Jesus had a a relationship with his father go ahead and fill that in Jesus life on earth revolved around three key relationships his relationship with his father can you think of times that Jesus spent intimate time with the father think about this the night before Jesus picked his 12 disciples he stole away and he prayed all night long before Jesus went to the cross he went to the garden and he prayed to the father and he cried out to the father in intimate fellowship and over and over again we see Jesus having this relationship with his father and as we think about that before beginning his public ministry he spent 40 days out in the wilderness with the father praying fasting trusting before choosing the disciples as I said now as we we think about that how many times do we see Jesus going up on the mountain getting up before daylight going out into the wilderness going to the garden getting alone with the father just simply to be with the father and in John 14 it says something powerful Jesus said when you hear my words you're not hearing my words but the words of the father now, now pastor isn't Jesus fully God absolutely but Jesus willingly set aside the privileges of being God and lived in total dependence upon the Father. So the life of Jesus was lived in relationship to the Father. Would you agree with that, yes or no? Let me give you box number two. Jesus also lived in relationship with his disciples. Think about this. Jesus had an intimate, loving relationship with the Father that spilled over into a fellowship relationship with his disciples. How many times do we see them together? Jesus calling the disciples. Jesus sitting on the beach and eating fish with his disciples. Jesus feeding the multitudes and showing his disciples that miracle. Jesus teaching them to pray or taking them to the garden or spending time with them in the upper room even before his death. What about Jesus washing their feet or sending them out to share the good news? Jesus lived in an intimate love relationship with the Father that spilled over into a fellowship relationship with other believers, with his disciples, if you will. And then there's a third set of relationships. Jesus' relationship to the world. Where do we see Jesus talking to people? And by the world, I mean people that were far from God, people that didn't know the Lord yet. Well, I see Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a religious man. I see Jesus talking to the woman at the well, a woman with a terrible reputation. I see Jesus talking to Zacchaeus. I see Jesus engaging a, a blind man, uh, Jesus engaging a paralytic man, Jesus engaging those who are far from God. So put all this together. The life of Jesus started with an intimate love relationship with the Father that spilled over into a fellowship relationship with other believers that in ultimately uh, infused a life of going 
going out to the lost and encouraging them to get to know the Father through Jesus. Now, why is all of this important, Pastor? Well, as we put it together and we do this, I want to challenge you. Go back through the gospel sometime this year. Just read through and look and maybe mark them, maybe three different colors. This is about Jesus and his Father. This is about Jesus and his disciples. This is about Jesus and the world. Let me say this again. The Christian life is not about me living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through me. Hear me, church family. Jesus Christ lives in the believer. That ought to make you want to shout. His spirit indwells you. His life is now your life. Galatians 2.20 says this, that my old life has passed away. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life of a Christ follower is this, that Jesus by his spirit is living in me and through me the kind of life that he would live. What kind of life did he live? I just showed you. And this becomes all-encompassing for you and me. I think we've so twisted it. We've made it about stuff that it's not about. We've focused on activity and information, and it's all about relationships. It's all about how we focus. In fact, listen to the words of Major Ian Thomas. I believe it's in your listening guide. I love this. The Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then, lived now, by him in you. That's a mouthful. But if we've said, this is how Jesus lived, and the Christian life is Jesus living in me, then what do you think he's going to do? He's going to live a life connected to the Father, spilling over in fellowship with other brothers and sisters and reaching out to the lost world, those that don't know Christ yet. And as we think about that, here's the point of the whole sermon title. I'm calling our church family to stop living for Jesus. (gasps) And start letting Jesus live his life through us. You know why the world wants nothing to do with the church? Because they see us living activity and information and we're trying to impress them and we're just as jacked up as they are. But when I surrender myself and Christ lives through me, people see that and they take notice because when Jesus shows up, addictions are broken. When Jesus shows up, families are mended. When Jesus shows up, finances are arranged in order and it doesn't matter who's in the White House, but when Christ is in the church house, the world will see it. And it's time for us to get out of the complication and ask ourselves, let me ask you, how many of you desire to faithfully follow Jesus Christ? Show of hands. Put your hands down. If you mean that, then let's stop shooting at the wrong target. Let's get really laser focused as a church. What would it look like if we actually saw revival come because we took that statement seriously? We said, I'm going to follow Jesus. No more trying to do it based on what I do. Praying's not going to... You see, what I'm doing is I'm praying so I can earn God's favor. I'm praying so God will like me. Well, I'm going to go to church because that will give me some favor with God. No. We're going to see it all starts in relationship. We need to walk through this just a little further. Galatians 2.20, it's on the screen, I hope. My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what that is? Simplicity and pure devotion to Jesus. That's all. Simplicity and pure devotion to Jesus. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. Amen? Say it with me. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. Let's say the whole thing. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. It's not about activity. It's not about what I do. It's not about information. It's not about what I know. It's about how you are related to God, to the church, and to the lost world around you. If you're aiming at any other target, you are missing it. 
The rest is just baggage and complication. And my prayer for our church this year is that we would find liberty and freedom, that we would discover what Jesus did. We would see, Jesus, you walked with the Father in intimacy. Jesus, you walked with disciples in fellowship. Jesus, you reached out to a lost world. And secondly, we would begin to demonstrate how he would live through us. Write that down. So we would discover what he did, and we would demonstrate how he would live through us. I'm calling you to live this out in the days ahead. I'm calling you to say enough of the treadmill of activity and information. Enough of trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of trying to live for Jesus. He didn't call me to that. He called me to let him live through me. He gives me new life. And I want you to stop and think through this. Stop living for Jesus is one of those things that it would shock us to think about as we consider. But I want you to hear this. John 17, 3, jot that down. Read this passage with me. You ready? Here we go. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Stop. Pastor, I thought eternal life was I get to go to heaven. Jesus did not define eternal life as a destination, but as a relationship. He said, this is eternal life. Some of you said, well, I signed on and got a get out of hell free card because I walked down the aisle and prayed a prayer and I'm gonna go to heaven when I die and that's eternal life. No, eternal life is not about length of time. It's about depth and quality. And Jesus said, this is is eternal life the context he's praying right before he goes to the cross and he just cries out to the father and he says oh father this is eternal life that they know you and if we miss that we miss it all I'm so tired of preachers standing up and giving people nice moralisms and giving them good suggestions on how to be a better dad or a chummier husband. I mean, they're just trying to be nice and kind and people are lost and dying and going to hell. And Jesus said, if we want eternal life, this is it. It's knowing God. And we know God through Jesus. And so for all of us, we need to see this, that Jesus gives to us in sight, clear sight, that we can have eternal life now. The, the beauty of heaven is it's, it takes that relationship to the next level. I've never seen Jesus. I've seen him work. Have you seen Jesus work? I have. But I've never laid eyes on him. Oh, but one day. I went to a funeral yesterday. I'm doing a funeral Tuesday. Both godly people that love the Lord and now they see things that I can only imagine. They see Jesus Christ face to face. They see the glory of the one who died for them, who gave himself for them. And one day that's gonna be for you and me. But Jesus said, this is eternal life. That you know, uh, that they know you now. Isn't that beautiful? And for you and for me, we need to see this. Henry Blackaby said it so well. He said, a love relationship with God is more important than any single factor in your life. Religion says there is a God and you've got to try to work to please him and you've got to work to appease him, a system of rules and do's and don'ts. You keep doing and you keep doing and you keep doing and you hope that he will somehow accept you. The path of Buddha the five uh, pillars of Islam, even the, the Baptist way. We've got our Baptist plan. I read my Bible. I'm going to worship. I'm going to Sunday school. I sing in the choir. It's not about activity. It's about relationship. I've got all the right doctrine. We believe in once saved, always saved. And we believe in the Bible and it's inspired inerrancy. And we believe in all the right stuff. It's not about information. It's tied up in relationships. And as we think about those relationships, it's vitally important for us to see that. And I've, I've just got to tell you that when we think about this, I've lived much of my life on those treadmills, trying to impress people and trying to impress God. And Christianity does the exact opposite. All of these other religions say, if you'll keep working sooner or later, maybe you can get to God. Religion, I've heard one time, is spelled D-O. Religion is spelled do, what you do, all right? Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Christianity just comes right along and pops you in the mouth and said, God is holy and there's nothing that you can ever do to be holy on your own. 
And as we think about this and as we study this in the days to come, I have a dear friend named Vance Pittman. He's a pastor in Las Vegas. And Vance put the construct of this life of a Jesus follower clearer than any pastor I've ever seen. And we're going to be studying it on Wednesday nights as we consider what does it look like to live in the freedom of these relationships. But Christianity says you can't do it. Listen, church, if I started right now to do everything that I possibly could to be as good and moral and right as I could be, it would never undo the fact that I've already sinned against a holy God and I'm already separated from him. But God stepped in and did that which I could not do. What did he do? He sent his son from heaven to earth and he lived a sinless life and he died a substitutionary death, but he didn't stay dead. He rose victoriously and God accepted his sacrifice on my behalf and he paid the penalty and gave me the opportunity by faith through his grace to trust him and to be saved forever and ever. Amen. That is the heart of the Christian life. It's all about the gospel and the relationship that we have. The good news of Christianity is that God did for us what we could not do. Religion is the enemy's cheap substitute for what Jesus has done. You see, some of you have come today because you want so desperately for things to get better in your life. If I go to church, God, well, I'm just expected to. I'm not here because I'm expected to. I'm here because I have expectation that God will be here because he invited me here. Let me ask you this. What is marriage? How, How would you define marriage? That seems like a pretty slam dunk question, but not in our culture in these days. It's a love relationship between a man and a woman, committed for life. Is marriage two people buying a house together, yes or no? Is marriage two people making vacation plans together? Is marriage opening a joint checking account together? No, those activities are usually a part of marriage, but it's not a matter of marriage if the relationship's not there first. I don't think any of you are going to leave this place today and go to Walmart this afternoon and find a a complete stranger and say, hey, you want to open up a joint checking account? I I don't think any of you, as hungry as you may be and you're ready for lunch, are going to leave here and pull up in the driveway of a stranger, walk in, grab a fork, and say, let's eat. Because you don't have... A relationship but because my wife and I have a married relationship and we know one another we plan vacations and we eat meals together and we bought a house together and we love our neighbors together and we serve the Lord together and we have a joint checking account and all of those things why you begin to see this people it's interesting to me Without the relationship, the activities don't make sense. And I just go back to this. That's why the world around us, that's why people in Hattiesburg are not in here today. They say, why do I want to go to that church? Why do I want to listen to that guy? If it's just about activity, they say, I've seen how some of the members of Hardy Street live. None of you, maybe another church. I've seen how people at another church live. And their life's no better than mine. Why would I want that? Some of you come out of a sense of guilt and you didn't perform like you thought you should this week so you needed to come make it up. Well, let me tell you, the only favorable thing about my life is Jesus Christ, period. The only favorable thing about your life is Jesus Christ, period. I don't have to read my Bible to be a good Christian. Listen to what I'm saying. I am invited into an intimate love relationship. So I get up in the morning and I open this word and I say, oh God, I can't believe that you've done all of this for me. Oh God, thank you for the gift of eternal life that I can know you today. Thank you for the promise that it's only gonna get better in heaven one day, but for right here and right now, I get to be with you you I said this over and over again to you it's not I gotta go to church it's I get to I love being with you because I love the father and most of you seem to have some some sense of at least joyful familial love for the father I've said it before some people come to church and they look like they're saved and mad about it 
But some of you genuinely love to study the Bible together, not to argue, but to study. Some of you genuinely love to pray together. And when we have a relationship that is intact with the Father and Jesus is living in and through us, His life, then it spills over into a relationship with other believers. If you don't like being in church, you're going to hate heaven. It's not that it's a church service forever and ever, but it's going to be joy-filled fellowship with one another. And if you don't love the lost, it's because this relationship's out of whack. You see, you'll never go share the gospel. I don't have to tell saved people to talk about Jesus. Hello. But we beg people, oh, will you go and tell somebody about Jesus? Will you tell me about your grandkids? Will you tell me about your favorite football team? Will you tell me about the meal you ate this week? Will you tell me about what? And the point is that the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. And so what I'm calling you to this year is to really get clear on this and say, what kind of life is Jesus calling me to live? And as we think about that and we wrap this up, let me give you three words. Now, by the way, if you're visiting with us, normally here at our church, we take a text of Scripture and we walk through it and we expound upon it. This is a little different because I'm just laying foundation for where we're going to go in Daniel and in Mark. But I want to give you three words very simply. And we're going to give you all of them. Abide, connect, and share. Write those down. Abide, connect, share. Say them with me. Abide, connect, share. Say them again. Abide, connect, share. I'm going to preach sermons on each of these in the coming days, but I want you to think about these relationships in that way. Jesus gave us a very simple word to encapsulate this. He said, abide. You just stay close to the stuff. You stay connected to the power source. You come and realize that I am the vine and you are a branch, that your life is fed by my life. Abiding in the Father, in that relationship, will spill out to a place where you'll connect with other believers. And that connection is so important. It's got to go deeper than walking past people in the hall and saying, hey, brother, hey, sister. We, We can do that so easily. I've said this to you. I can remember our very first church, we got married. I was already living in the parsonage. That'll bless you because people would invite themselves into the parsonage. And Stephanie and I would have one of these loud discussions. Anybody else have loud discussions? We didn't argue. We didn't fight. We had loud discussions. They were lively. And we would have a loud discussion, and then we would walk out the door and ring the bell and go ding, ding, and smile. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. How are you today? Oh, it's so good. God bless you. And we'd leave church and we'd ring the bell again and gloves are back on and here we go. We do that. We play the game. But deep connection with other believers means we get in other people's lives. And I'm just telling you, I've been horrible at this. I'm good at being up front and preaching. But, but we want to invest this year in people's lives like never before. There are members of our church that I've not laid eyes on in many, many months because of COVID, and that's going to end this week. I'm going to begin to invest harder and harder at spending time, and you need to as well. Why? Because I love the Father, and that spills over into the lives of people. And then that ought to spill over to us. Pray and go. We ought not ever beg somebody to come and be a part of praying for our neighbors. You ought to get to that place. And you know what will happen? A crowd will attract a crowd. If we get enough people who realize, I don't have to perform for Jesus to love me. Jesus loved me, and because he loved me, I get to do all these things. Amen? It will revolutionize this church. It will revolutionize my life. Abide, connect, share. This isn't something new. On the back of your bulletin, knowing growing, going. I've said this for five years. I'm not changing direction. I'm simply, hopefully, shedding some weight along the way as we follow Jesus. So we want to know Jesus and make him known. We want to grow in shared life relationships together. And we want to go for Christ to our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation. Knowing, growing, going is our mission making disciples along the way. I want to call us to just a very simple time of response. If you today have never trusted Jesus and you recognize, I can have eternal life today, yes. We have encouragers that would love to talk with you. When we sing in just a moment, if you feel so led, would you stand up from where you are and walk down to the front and those encouragers will sit down with you and share with you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how you can start a relationship with God through Jesus.
and for everybody else that have said I desire to faithfully follow you may not even sing you may just want to pray and say Lord make it so that my life will be all about relationships not about activity not about information but about relationships with the Father with brothers and sisters in Christ and with those that don't yet know you I'm praying that you get set free as we walk this path together in 2021 and I'm praying more than anything listen, listen I'm praying more than anything that we zero in on the right target and we shoot at the right goal because everything else is foolish I've got parents that want their kids to be the best cheerleaders and the best soccer players and the best uh, athletes and the best academic uh, students that they can be and those are good and fine goals but you better be aiming at godliness you better teach them to know the Lord. It'd be tragic if they had an incredible batting average and lost their eternal soul and went to hell. Our students are having a Zoom Sunday school this afternoon. If you're a parent that's watching online or you're in here, you ought to encourage them. I bet tomorrow morning as they sit down and eat cereal at the table, they're going to say, you're probably not going to say to them, hey, you feel like going to school today? I'm thankful that I had parents that didn't give me a choice as to whether or not I'd go to school and they didn't give me a choice as to whether or not I'd be plugged into Bible studies because they understood that this matters and we can shoot at the wrong goal. Amen? Let's pray. Father, use this message in the hearts and lives of people all throughout this room for your glory. Set them free from the trap of religion and open our eyes to the joy of relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.